Hi everyone, welcome again to the Money Mentors podcast. I'm Glenn Fairburn speaking here and joined with my co-host Nathan Lee. How's it going, Nate? Good, thanks, Glenn. Good to be here. How are you? Yeah, not not too bad. Not too bad. I mean, as some of our listeners may know, we we do uh, we're both based in in Victoria and Melbourne. And Nathan, obviously, we're in the midst of this second wave. Um, obviously, we had to work through the the first wave. Had had a little bit of of um of a break there for some time where you know the, the restrictions were eased and life was sort of somewhat coming back to normal um how are you finding this second wave you feel like you're used to it or sort of over it how are you finding it yeah look pro- probably i mean it was a couple of weeks ago now the, the the tighter restrictions were enforced in melbourne so um you kind of go through the, the the wave of different emotions at the time you get a bit frustrated and you kind of probably just get on with it after a while and accept it so Oh, look, obviously, like a lot of other people, not, not loving the situation, but you've just got to do the, the best you can in the, in, the, in the current situation, don't you? Yeah, you do. That's, look, for me, it's pro, uh, I think, what are we, two, two odd weeks now into this sort of second wave and slightly tighter restrictions. Obviously, it's a bit frustrating. You sort of wonder where the light at the end of the tunnel is and whether this is just what we're going to have to get used to. Um, it does get a bit frustrating, I suppose, when you feel as though most people have, you know, tried to do the right thing and then there's certain elements that weren't either run correctly or people not doing the right thing. I think that's what's frustrating. Whereas the first time around, it was something that just hit us that we weren't prepared for. Whereas the second time around, there was things in place, but people were just sort of negligent. Um, so yeah, it's a bit frustrating, I suppose, that you don't know where the light is and whether this is just until there's a vaccine, you're sort of going to be in and out of different sorts of restrictions. Do you sort of feel that way? Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to accept it is what it is. Uh, control the controllables, because yeah, as you just said, then Glenn, it could be could be like this for some time. I don't want to speculate how long that time could be, but it, it, it might, it's not going to be over in a couple of months, I don't think. So I don't think you just so. got to deal with it the best you can, and yeah, do the things that help you get on with life. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. And look, just chatting about that. I mean, it's a bit of a segue, I suppose, into what um, I wanted to chat, or you know, you and I were going to chat about today. Um, as far as you know, the economic financial impacts of, of COVID-19, obviously the big parts of the economy have been shut down. People haven't been able to work. Um, so there's obviously impact for working Australians. Um, so whether they've either got reduced work hours or, or whether their jobs have stopped completely, there's no doubt been a massive financial impact as a result of the, the, um, the virus. Um, and obviously within Australia, the government's sort of come out with JobKeeper, JobSaver um, to try and cushion the, the economic impact. But as often happens during these sort of economic slash market downturns, it's, it's the self-funded re- retirees, I suppose, who perhaps don't get the government support that can really be hurt by it, isn't it? I mean, they're the ones who are, you know, relying on their investments to meet their income needs. Um, and you know when the market falls as it has um not only is their capital value reducing but you know the income that they're getting from their investments has also reduced so like the gfc like other downturns unfortunately it's the self-funded retirees that that also cop a bit of a hit isn't it i mean yeah definitely been a theme the last few years with with interest rates coming down whether whether self-funded retirees are I guess finding it harder and harder to meet their income needs, but I suppose to balance that off a bit, um, you know, the the market, the asset values have held up quite well. What I mean, yeah. what I'm going to say, held up quite That's well. Probably. 
obviously had that big fall, the 35-odd percent fall, but the market in kind of general terms has has recovered quite steadily or maybe yeah. even maybe a little bit better than we would have thought at the bottom point over the past yeah. kind of few months, which has definitely helped things, hasn't it? It definitely has. And, and, and that's where, as I was saying, you know, the capital values have have recovered a little bit. They're still off, but I think it's that hit to income, isn't it? That and, and some people could be listening saying, well, if they're a self-funded retiree and they're not getting a pension, then they can afford it. But it's important to, to consider the long-term implications of that, isn't it? Because if a self-funded retiree is forced to draw down on their asset base because income levels have reduced, you know, rental income, that's come off because tenants aren't paying rent. Dividend in- income has come off because companies have cut dividends. If these self-funded retirees are forced to draw down on capital, then they're eventually well, potentially going to fall back on the age pension as well. So it's it's one of those things that needs to be considered. So really what I wanted to have a chat. Nathan. But Glenn just, Glenn, just on that point, something that a lot of people could relate to at the moment, yes, um, you know, your income might have come off a bit, but most people's expenses are yeah. significantly lower. And especially, as you mentioned, retirees, that often a lot of their budget in the early years of retirement goes, goes towards overseas travel or travel. Yeah, yeah definitely. Is, pretty much non-existent right now. So hopefully that somewhat helps the reduction in the income some retirees might, might be feeling. The pinch look, hold, on to the, hold on to that thought because that's one of the key things that I wanted to chat about okay. today. Um, so on the topic of self-funded retirees, if there are a lot of um, listeners out there that are, are self-funded retirees or their parents are and are really looking at what can they do to mitigate the impact of you know, COVID-19 on their financial situation, um, what I thought we could chat about today, Nathan, was, was a bit of a survival guide for self-funded retirees um, to sort of weather the storm of this financial impact. Uh, I'm not sure what, what your sort of key things are, but um, I, I sort of made a list of, you know, five things that I thought were really important for self-funded retirees to focus on that could help them, you know, sail through this period and hopefully protect their asset base. Um, and, and the number one thing that really comes to mind for me, um, you know, there's the old saying that cash is king. Now, in the current low interest rate environment, it's probably not king right now because obviously rates are so low. So there's sort of that um, opportunity cost or the holding cost of having too much cash because, you know, it, it could be quite detrimental to your overall investment return. But when I talk to clients about the appropriate levels of cash, what, what I like to um, sort of discuss is that if you can understand what income is being generated by your investments and understand what your expenses are, if there's a gap, like if your expenses are more than what income is being generated, my general sort of approach would be to have enough cash to fill that gap for say two years. Cause at least that gives you the situation where you can ride through the short term fluctuations in the market without having to sell assets at a downtime. Um, and at least it gives you the peace of mind that regardless of what happens with markets, um, that you can at least meet your income needs over that period of time, or at least for two years. But what are your thoughts around how much cash you should hold in a portfolio? Oh, look, I mean, yeah, there's different ways you can look at that. <clears throat> Obviously you just mentioned, a, a, you know, a bit of a concept, a couple of years worth of income. Um, I mean, what one way we when we're building portfolios, we we look at it is 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 just a 
a percentage. So, you know, whether that's 1%, 2%, 3%, 4%, 5%, whatever, whatever the, the cash balance is. And it really depends on the size of money that they're investing, the size of the portfolio uh, and their income needs. Um, now, I mean, as we always say to, to our clients, I mean, the portfolios that we construct have a very strong income focus. It's extremely yeah. reliable. Um, even at the moment, I mean, it's arguably being tested as much as it will be tested and income has actually been quite strong. So, yeah, I, I definitely agree. I mean, cash is always your friend, but you don't want too much of it because it's going to, yeah. it's a detractor there to your returns. That's right. Um, pro probably the other thing that's been kind of relevant at the moment, Glenn, is yeah, just the liquidity risk, I guess, yeah, where some, some people have in investments that they have perceived to be liquid mm. that perhaps aren't liquid. Did you want to maybe just touch on a couple of things there? Oh, absolutely. And, and look, that this is something that I've spoken to clients about recently because there's been investments that, as you were saying, in, in a normal market, they're liquid, like you can get your money out. So it's not an issue. But during March, we saw that sort of sell-all mentality. Now, if you've got you know, a fixed income investment or a credit investment that's providing loans to you know, a number of corporates and ordinarily it's liquid and it's, it's pretty secure, if everyone wants their money back at once, the provider of that investment just can't facilitate that. Well, it's the, it's the same concept as a bank. Like yeah. imagine if everybody had money in the bank, wanted their money back. The bank just couldn't do it. But, you know, you yeah. see those old clips of from years ago, there's lines out the front of the bank, people wanting yeah. their money back. Yeah. It's the exact same concept. So even although banks are safe and, I mean, government guaranteed, the same thing could happen with, with cash in the bank, couldn't it? It could, but I suppose from my perspective, I'm more so thinking about investments that some people use as like cash proxies. Like I know yeah. during the global financial crisis, yeah. there were, you know, people used to use mortgage funds as almost like a cash proxy because, oh, they're liquid. But they're only liquid if, if only a small amount of people want their money on a you know, semi-regular basis. If all the investors want all their money back, well, mm. the provider of those mortgage funds can't say to all their borrowers, look, we will, you need to repay all your loans. So you need to look very carefully at what you view as cash. And if my, my sort of belief is, and I'm saying this to clients, if you need money in 12 months, then cash is probably the only thing, like and maybe short-term term deposits or things that you can just be guaranteed that you can get that money back because you can't look at a market in normal circumstances and say, oh, it's liquid now, it'll be liquid all the time. Because we've seen it's just not the case. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you've got to be really careful. I mean, obviously that example I used about the banks, I, I, we don't think for a second that's going to happen. That's an extreme huh. example. But I guess the point I was trying to make is that if everybody wants their money back from a particular type of investment or company, it can create issues. And right. we've seen a little bit of that where some kind of term style investments that are perceived to be absolutely liquid cash aren't. Yeah. And I think that's where... I mean, you mentioned earlier, Nathan, that we have that direct investment approach, very cash flow focused. So you can look at a client's portfolio and understand the income. So that's where, from, from our perspective, we can say, well, look at the income, look at your expenses and have the cash to fill that gap. But a lot of people, because um, another school of thought is that you need two years of cash you know, within your super fund um, to mitigate the impact of the downturn. Now, that may be the case if you're, investing across a range of managed funds where you can't predict the income. So there's different schools of thought and you the school that you go to is, I think, dependent on the underlying investment strategy that you've got, doesn't it? Yeah.
the second thing, or number two for me, was um, I suppose just expanding on what you were chatting about before is on the expense side of things. I mean, I've sort of written down cut expenses. So if if your investment income has come off, if markets are down, um, ideally you don't want to be selling assets at at a down point in the market. So um, if income's coming off, then one way to, to minimize the need to sell is to cut your expenses. But as you were saying, Nathan, and I'm sort of hearing the same thing from clients is that because people can't go anywhere because they can't travel, a lot of retirees are already seeing a cut in their expenses, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just think about yourself, like your situation, yeah. my situation, you're definitely spending a little bit less than you'd like to think. I know some people might there's be taking this, the opportunity to, to online shop, um, yeah, which is kind of one of the... Uh, online, but yeah. It's one of the few excitements in life these days, isn't it? Getting a, a delivery from the postman. <laughs> I think I'm not the delivery man by name almost. Now daily, I think he sort of drops by. But yeah, I think across the board, most people are seeing a drop in expenditure, aren't they? In particular, retirees. I mean, just if we're using our, our clients um, as a as a sample size, a lot of them do travel and that's, that's a big, that could be, you know, 30, 40% of their expenditure. Yep. Especially in the early years of, uh, of retirement. That's, that's for sure. So definitely. I mean, they may not have to cut their expenses because it's already happening sort of ordinarily or, or just by way of being forced to in some way. So look, that, that does help. Um, the third factor is something that we chat about quite a lot. Nathan on this podcast and it's obviously having to mitigate the impact of any economic downturn um, and to sort of sail through the fluctuations in markets it's important to have a strategy isn't it like a long-term investment strategy that that is really constructed to to achieve your objectives um, and 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 can achieve those objectives throughout any economic climate but more importantly than that, not just having a strategy, but also rebalancing back to the strategy. Um, did you want to just briefly just chat about that, Nathan? Oh, just yeah. rebalancing and why we do it for our clients. Yeah, I mean, people that, that have listened to us or have clients of our firm would would know, you know, we, we harp on this message, how, how important it is to rebalance portfolios back to the original strategy. So you have, have the investment plan, you know, an asset allocation and, and diligently rebalance back to that in all market conditions. And, you know, we're not just saying this because the market, you know, fell in, in kind of March, April, when we were doing a lot of rebalancing, a lot of buying. Um, we, we said it, you know, last year when the market had a good 2019 and we were, our, our asset, our clients' asset allocations were, were telling us to reduce, for example, equities that had, had performed well, Australian equities, international equities. So, um, yeah, look, we've spoken about this a number of times. I know we've got a couple of dedicated podcasts on this topic, but just just you know highlights the important in these kind of extreme markets. It really highlights the importance of rebalancing, doesn't it, Glenn? As we've seen, because if we didn't do it in March, March, April, um, our clients would be a lot worse off right now. Well, it takes the emotion out of your decision making, doesn't it? Because when when you're thinking about investing, you can either try and time the market, like you try and pick the best time to get in. Or you can be time in the market where you just buy and you hold for a long period of time. So if you have a strategy and you actively rebalance, it really just takes away um, the need to be reactive, doesn't it? Because you can look at your strategy and you can look at, okay, how much is my strategy saying I need to have in shares? 
you can look at your portfolio weighting as it stands right now and make a decision accordingly. So as you were saying, back in March, we were doing a lot of rebalancing, which was topping up Australian shares, not because we were oracles and knowing that it was the bottom of the market, but because the market was off 38% or whatever it was, most of our clients were underweight shares. So the portfolios were telling us we should be topping up. Um, and, and as you were saying, Nathan, the advantage of that is not only that um, you're taking that sort of market timing risk out of it, but you're also dollar cost averaging. So you're able to buy at a lower point in the market, which means that as markets recover, you're really speeding up that, that recovery time frame, aren't you? Yeah, that's probably a good point. You just mentioned dollar cost averaging, Glenn, because with a, with a diversified portfolio, rebalancing is, um, I guess, is your friend. It'll take care of the process for you. But there, there are some people that might only have, for example, a share portfolio. And yeah. if you had a share portfolio and you saw you know, a big fall earlier in the year, um, if you have a lot of cash to reinvest, great, but not everyone might have that luxury. So that's why, that's where a dollar cost averaging approach where you might periodically add savings, say every month or couple of months to your portfolio, it just gives you that natural opportunity to buy throughout all market cycles. It does. And, and just one, before we move on to the next one, one more benefit that I was just chatting to a client, a prospective client earlier this week about rebalancing is that if you're sitting on a lot of cash, you're probably sitting there thinking, well, I'm not sure if I want to invest now or do I wait for a further downturn? Um, so you're trying to pick the best time, but you could be sitting on cash forever because if the market never comes off, then you're never going to buy. So the advantage of having that diversified portfolio and then having that rebalancing discipline is that even if you invest today and the market falls next week, then you're equipped that you can still take advantage of that downturn. So once again, it takes the risk out of sitting in too much cash. Uh, so the, the fourth one, which I suppose in some ways relates to portfolio rebalancing is, is to not panic. Um, so don't be, I, I think there's a tendency with markets as they are now, there's a lot of news flow, there's a lot of fear, you know, there's a tendency to look at your portfolio too much, too much and just react all the time and try to make too many changes to your portfolio and have the emotions drive your decisions. And that can be really dangerous, can't it? Where you get, just get too caught up in everything and you just think it's all too much and you're trying to you know, chase your tail and keep up with the market and, and almost do too much. Mm. You think there's a danger in being too close to the market and reading too much news? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Everybody's different. Some people can look at the news daily and, um, and, and, and not let it drive their emotion and impact how they invest their portfolio but there's other people that can't that can't do that as well so they're probably the people that maybe don't want to look so often or entrust in, in an advisor or someone you know in, independent to help them manage their portfolio yeah. i mean it, it, i was just going to mention a little bit tongue-in-cheek you know looking at how australians handled uh, the first lockdown with the toilet paper situation can yeah, no, tell yeah. you how much we can react emotionally to situations mm -hmm. so if everyone just went about their business normally, there wouldn't have been the issue. But, but I think also if you want to um, almost set yourself up to not panic in future, it's about having a, a strategy that can achieve your objective without taking too much risk, in, investing quality. Um, and so I think there's things that you can do even when there isn't a panic situation that can you know, reduce your stress levels. Um, but ultimately it comes back to that rebalancing thing as well, doesn't it? Like 
not panicking, having a strategy and, and sticking to it and just not letting your emotions get on top of um, you so that, you know, and they're ultimately driving your decision-making process. So that's where, I think that's where an advisor can really help, isn't it? Like, because they can make um, rational decisions with you um, and, and take the emotion out of it. And also having an understanding of what can play out and, and I know, you know, I've personally, and you would have too, Glenn, had conversations with clients over the past few years that, you know, 20%, 30%, 40% corrections are actually, like, they can happen. And well, they if they happen. do happen, the portfolio isn't going to be a disaster. I mean, it's, it's yeah, it might take a bit of a hit, but um, what are we going to do next? Which is yeah. what we spoke about before, which is rebalancing. So I think the fact that if people have that kind of knowledge of what, what could happen going forward, they're less inclined to panic. And I think that's been our experience personally and dealing with clients. If you can't handle it, you shouldn't be in there. Like the, the fact is if you can't handle the fact that equity markets can fall by almost half, then you shouldn't, you shouldn't probably be investing in the market. Um, ultimately, the, as to how much you can bear will then drive how much of your portfolio should be in equity. So if you think, oh, I'm only really comfortable with my portfolio coming off 10% at any one time, maybe then you've only got 20% invested in equity. So these are all the things that should drive, you know, the, the process when you're constructing your, your investment strategy. Uh, the last one, the last point that I, that I had here, Nathan, which I think is a really important one, in particular when things get really volatile i think it's always good to be able to speak to a professional so i I just wrote down here speak to your advisor like if you've got fears if you've got anxieties about the market sorry i think we might have cut out there for a second but what 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 i was saying is that i think that's where during you know volatile markets during times of panic it can be really helpful to have an advisor just to you know talk reassure you talk about your strategy um have them explain to you how they've set up your portfolio to um, sort of work through this situation. Um, so yeah, I mean, I've obviously, and I know you have too, had a number of discussions with clients talking about how their strategy is equipped to, to sort of withstand a downturn, how the income's still coming in, how they can still do the things that they want to do. Um, did you have anything to add to that at all about the, the, the value of it having an advisor that you can talk to? Oh, look, it's, it's fairly straightforward, Glenn. I think you, you explained it there, but just um, anything in life, you know, you probably value the guidance of a professional, whether it's a medical issue, you need your car looked after from a mechanic. Like, in our view, managing your finances is no different. I mean, yes, some people might be able to do it and good on them if they've got the time and the know-how and the skills get, skill set to do it. But um, a lot of people need, need that professional assistance and um, 100% agree with what you said there, Glenn. Yeah, no, absolutely. So look, as I was saying, just encourage our listeners that if they've got an advisor to have open discussions with them. Um, if they don't, maybe it's time to engage with someone just for that professional view. Um, but, but also on that, if in times like this, if you're not receiving open, honest communication from your advisor, maybe it is time to consider your options and find someone who's proactive and, and there to help you. Um, so look, just to recap, those five sort of points um, that, that we believe can help you survive, you know, the COVID-19 downturn. The first one was cash is king. So making sure you've got enough cash to get you through the tough times. 
perhaps look at cutting your expenses. We spoke about the fact that most people are already seeing um, that their expenses are cut off. So maybe that takes care of itself. Having a third one was rebalance your portfolio. So have a strategy, actively rebalance back to it, and that'll take the, the risk of timing the market out of it. Um, the fourth one's don't panic. So once again, if you have your strategy, um, stick to it. Don't make irrational decisions. Um, don't be reactive to the market uh, because you know that's not going to help you in the long term. And the final one was if you've got an advisor, speak to them. Get that open communication. Um, so look, on that, on that note, um, I think that sort of covers off on the main things we wanted to chat about. So once again, thank you all for, for joining us and we'll chat to you all again soon. Thanks everybody for listening again to another episode of the Money Mentors podcast. Um, if you enjoy the, the content, please do subscribe to the podcast um, via um, any good po- podcasting app. Um, once again, please check out our major sponsors website, Hewison Private Wealth. Um, so just, just search for Hewison Private Wealth online. Also check out Hewison Private Wealth's um, social media channels, Facebook LinkedIn or Twitter. Um, Thanks again. We'll see you next week.